Um, so um, I'm going to claim, I know we're in September, but I'm going to still claim that it's summer, okay? So until, until my kids go back to school, it's still summer. We're holding on, we're holding on. So um, over the summer, you, you might realize we've been going through this series called More. We've entitled it More. Um, and it's going through the book of Ephesians, which is, um, this is basically the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus that he planted. Now, if you've missed out on any of the series, you can listen back online at any time. Um, and you can also engage with the Bible reading plan um, that's available at the back, just in the info point over there. Now, we've entitled this series more, um, simply because I think God longs for all of us to know him, first of all, and how much he loves us, and for our lives to reflect that. You know, this is the God who gives us immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So I believe there's more for us in every area of our lives. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing in on this idea of how there is more for us in the whole area of relationships. Now, I could ask you to put up your hands, but I'm assuming that maybe one or two of us in this room this morning has at times had problems with our relationships. Yeah? One or two, maybe more. Um, Family, friends, spouses, kids. Relationships can be difficult. Now, throughout Paul's letter, he uses this phrase, one another. And, you know, we were created to do life with other people, but relationships can be tough. Marriages break down. Children grow up in broken homes. Friends fall out and argue. People are bullied and abused. Something is broken in our world. Now this passage we're about to read from Ephesians is part of that letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. You know, this is a specific group of people in a specific time. Um, And so I just want to say straight up that, you know, there may be some things in it, in the letter that I'm about to read, that you might feel a bit uncomfortable with. Um, If they do, I'm going to try and explain the context of that in a minute, so hold that. But there is so much in here that I believe helps us today in the context that we find ourselves in, in Feltham, West London, here in 2019. So can I pray for us, and then we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians and chapter 5 together. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I want to ask this morning, you would help us to hear the things that you want us to hear. And that we would go away changed, that we would go away a little bit more like you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're going to read from um, Ephesians 5 um, and verse 21. So if you have a, a phone or a device with you, or even one of these good old paper Bibles, they're still, they're still in print, so get one. Um, We're going to read from verse 21 together this morning. And it's entitled, Instructions for Christian Households. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. Now, if the church submits to Christ, so also... Wives should should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, 
but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must must each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So, I couldn't help but notice, when I read those phrases, things like, wives, submit to your husbands, the husband is the head of the wife, it felt like I might have been losing about half of you in this room this morning, but... I want to explain a bit of the context, and I hope I can bring you back in, okay? So let me start by giving that kind of context to this passage. You see, the reality is that men, including those in the church, have taken these words of Paul and used them in isolation to both degrade and oppress women, to to treat children badly, to trample on anyone we are in authority over. But that is not the way of Jesus. Men... This is not what it means to be a real man, using your power to put others down. So here we have Paul. He establishes churches across the known world. And as he's planted churches, he's released leaders, both men and women, to lead these churches. You only have to read the New Testament to see that. Here he is writing to the church in Ephesus. And that's around, it's in the Mediterranean Sea in modern-day Turkey. Um, and it's the, large, it's the third largest city in the whole of the Roman Empire, as Paul is writing. And the culture there is based around trade, shipping, and industry, and all that went with that. The rich were getting richer, and the poor were getting poorer. And the culture he's speaking into is extremely patriarchal. As in, if you're not a man, you're not going to get anywhere in life. You see, in Jewish culture, where Paul comes from, They used to go into the temple and they used to pray and and thank God that they were not either Gentiles, slaves, or women. In Greco-Roman culture, this culture, having a few issues here, you know, um, in Greco-Roman culture, in this culture, women were simply inferior to men. The role of women was basically to stay at home, to look after the home and for the kids, and when I say this, it was especially the male children they were looking after, because so many baby girls were abandoned at that time. And when they married, Ephesian men were often in their early 30s, whereas the women were still likely in their teens. And alongside this, there was a growing feminist movement, pushed
pushing back against this oppressive man-centered culture. So I'm not surprised. Women were actively initiating divorce and separating from them, from their, themselves from their husbands and from their families. So much so that when Emperor Augustus, when he came to power, the Romans put out huge fines for single people and even larger fines for those who got divorced. Now, Aristotle, he's a Greek philosopher, not someone I've read widely, but he was a very famous philosopher at the time. Um, he wrote about how society should be organized, and he called it the household code. Okay? And in it, he starts by talking about how husbands and wives should act together, fathers and children, and then slaves and masters. Does that sound familiar? You see, Paul uses this household code from Aristotle to form the way that he writes this letter. So when the church in Ephesus read this, I have no doubt that they knew exactly what Paul was doing. Paul is bringing the message of Jesus directly into the culture of that day. I love that. You see, culture was a mess. Relationships were not functioning. Does that sound familiar to any of us today? And it's into this mess that Paul brings the good news of Jesus and a new way to relate to one another. This was revolutionary. So bearing all that in mind, this morning I'm going to share some thoughts around how we can experience more in each of our own relationships. You know, we're going to ask us that question, how can we experience more in my own relationships? So regardless of whether you're here and you're exploring faith, if you are, you're so, so welcome. Or if you've been following Jesus for decades, I hope what I share is helpful this morning. You know, I believe it all starts with this line that we read in verse 21. And too often we don't include this in this passage. It says, submit to one another. Honor each other. Love each other. Continuing this theme of love and unity that we've seen throughout this letter. Now when we read this line, submit to one another, we have to assume that Paul is talking here about every relationship. You know, he gives some examples using Aristotle's household code, as I've just mentioned. He talks about marriage, parenting, slaves and masters, and for us, I think we can read workplace relationships. Submit to one another. So what does that mean in our own relationships? Well, I think a good place to start is looking at the dictionary. What does that word really mean? You know, the dictionary tells us that to submit to someone else is to allow another person or group to have power or authority over you. Now that's not something that sits well in today's society, is it? We are the ones who decide our own destiny. No one has any power over us. Now, what I'm not talking about here is being a doormat. If this is a one-sided thing, that's all it is. We're inviting people to simply walk all over us. That's not what Paul is saying here. The way Paul phrases this is so significant. Firstly, submit to one another. Give yourselves up for each other. Think less of yourselves and look out for others. Paul is talking about a mutual submission where we each give up something of ourselves for the benefit of the whole. And that action should be replicated by the other person. Now, if you were to take the following line, verse 22 on its own, wives, submit to your husbands, well, that is not mutual submission. And that is why this first verse is so important in the context of the whole passage. 
it underpins everything he goes on to write. So what Paul is saying is that unless we are willing to give up something of ourselves to willingly submit and honour another person, then we can never hope to have effective relationships. And that will require some vulnerability. And as we become vulnerable with others, as we give up something of ourselves, and likewise, as that other person becomes vulnerable with us and gives something of themselves up to us, an effective relationship is possible. I think it's a bit like a seesaw. Do you remember those? You used to go to the park and swing on those. Swing? No, no, you swing on swings. You... I don't know, what do you do on seesaw? Anyway, so if one person climbs onto a seesaw and puts all their weight down, the other end is going to fly up in the air. And the other person can't get on. And it's impossible to get that seesaw moving. But if the first person is willing to take off some of their own weight, the other person can now climb on. The seesaw will begin to move as both people work together, give and take. You know, good relationships, I think, are a bit like that. They will only work when both people work together from a place of mutual submission, give and take. You know, we each need to give up a bit of ourselves, or it just simply won't work properly. You know, for some of us, I'm sure it can feel like we're actually always the ones who always give, the first to offer help to others. The one who always arranges to meet up. The one who always listens whilst the other one talks. The only one who ever buys a round of drinks or bakes a cake. But you know, it's equally important that we have to allow the other one to give up something of themselves as well. If we are always the ones giving, then the other person never has an opportunity to, to submit themselves. And if we are never willing to receive or accept help for ourselves, we will never thrive, either in our relationships or in simply living life. Help and be helped. Serve and be served. Submit to one another. So how do we do that? I mean, it's easy, isn't it, to talk about it? You know, just to simply just submit to each other in our family relationships, with our friends, our colleagues, bosses. You know, maybe on one level it sounds pretty straightforward, but in reality... I don't know if you, about you, but I found that incredibly difficult at times. And in our own strength, I believe it could even be impossible. So how do we do it? Well, I believe the answer is in that same sentence, that first verse that we read. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Out of reverence to Jesus. In other words, it starts by first submitting to Jesus himself. You know, maybe you've never done that. And today's a great day to do that. But for the rest of us, if we're following Jesus, it's something we need to do daily. Recognizing that he is Lord over all, and that includes our relationships. The best relationships we can have in this life are rooted in Jesus. Because he's the firm foundation. And as we submit to him, we acknowledge that we need him and we need his help. How does that look in practice? You know, there's three different types of relationships that Paul mentions here. You know, obviously this is not an exhaustive list, but I just want to touch on each of those for a few minutes. Parenting, work relationships, and then I'll come back to marriage. By the way, I just want to say up front, I've cleared everything that I'm about to say with both Kathy and my boys, okay? So it's all okay. If you think, I can't believe you said that, it's okay, they know. They know. Let me just take a sip of water. 
start with parenting. I don't know if you remember the Whitney Houston song, Children of the Future. They are, aren't they? They're also an incredible gift here. We do know that, don't we, parents? I'm, I'm looking for a little bit of affirmation here. But, you know, so I've, I've got two boys, and I've had the, um, the privilege of spending a lot of time with my boys over the summer. And I know not everyone gets to do that. You know, we've had a lot of fun. Uh, we've visited places. We've been on holiday together. We've had some really great conversations and also a lot of laughs. But sometimes, and I don't know how to say this nicely, they're incredibly annoying. So, so I got um, um, the, a smartwatch for my birthday, and it has this inbuilt heart rate monitor, okay? And it's not 100% accurate, but it's pretty good. And I notice that as my boys get increasingly annoying, they keep on doing that same voice, or whatever it is, my heart rate just starts to go up and up. I knew it was true before, but now I have the stats to prove it. And I'm not saying, you know, I turn, start to turn green or anything, but sometimes I, get, I begin to get a little bit frustrated, sometimes even a little bit angry. And I notice it in my voice. You know, we, I'm, I'm not the only one here, am I? We start to get maybe a little bit louder or maybe a little bit more aggressive in our tone. And sometimes, usually the final straw, I might even shout at one of my boys. They don't like it, obviously, and I don't like it. I hate seeing that in myself. I need to find ways to stay calm, to lower that heart rate down again, to show love whatever the situation. The reality is, parents, we get the worst of our children, don't we? You know, we get, you know, you get talk to people at school or at church like, oh, they were so good. And it's like, well, you should see them at home. Um, but equally, children also get the worst of their parents. And I've been really trying hard to remain calm with them. But when I do go green, I do my best to man up. I'm really trying hard to just apologize to them, to talk through my own vulnerabilities and my struggles with staying calm at times. They need to hear that from me. I think it's really important. This passage says, children, obey your parents. I'm all for that. But equally, parents, do not exasperate your children. It's not easy. And there are times when it's really, really hard. But, you know, some of us, I think, you know, we need help in parenting our kids, in being able to remain calm, in providing good boundaries. Maybe you've never said those four letters out loud. We would love to pray for you this morning. We'd love to help you find some help in that area. But, you know, for all those involved in helping uh, to raise children, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, whether you're a teacher, you work in a nursery, you're an au pair, we all need God's help in that. We need His grace and His guidance. And if, if you particularly appreciate some prayer around that, we would love to pray for you a bit later on this morning. Now, the second type of relationship I'm going to talk about this morning is workplace relationships. You know, maybe uh, this morning you're, you're looking for work. Maybe you're in a job that you really hate. Or maybe you're in the job of your dreams. Maybe you're managing or you're overseeing people. Maybe you have a nightmare boss. This whole area of work can be a huge challenge. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever watched that, um, the program like Secret Boss or Undercover Boss. You know, employees basically have no idea when they're standing next to the owner of their own company. And some of them respond really, really well and others really don't. You know, they start sharing things that they definitely shouldn't be sharing in front of the, the 
boss of the whole company. And in this passage, I think Paul talks a little bit about Jesus as though he's an undercover boss. You know, I wonder what it would be like if Jesus showed up in your workplace. Would he like what he saw? As you're driving your lorry, you're fixing a wall, you're serving a customer. You know, Paul's challenge to us is to serve wholeheartedly as if we were serving the Lord. And that's an incredible challenge. But perhaps even more surprisingly, particularly in this culture, he says to bosses or masters to do the same. That is so countercultural. Paul has no respect, seemingly, for how things are meant to be done. You know, if you're a manager or a leader in your workplace, how do you treat those that you are that you have responsibility over? Do you help them to thrive? Do you help them to do really well? Or do you constantly put them down? So this time tomorrow, how can we bring Jesus into our workplaces? How can we show a different kind of attitude when we work, in the ways that we manage people? For some of us, that might just be connecting with people outside of the context of work, like getting to know people properly. Maybe you've segregated your life too much, you just need to get to know the people that you're working with. And it's then you'll be able to invite people along to Alpha and things like that if you actually get to know people properly. What about, you know, praying for someone who's sick in the office? You know, the next time someone says, I've got a headache, why not offer to pray for them and get the paracetamol? Or perhaps you just simply need to blow your cover and tell people what you were really doing here this morning. You know, don't, don't make any more excuses. Just be honest about you know, how much Jesus means to you and talk to people about that. And, you know, if you would really value prayer in that area, if you would really love to see your work life change, we'd love to pray for you again this morning. Now, the final type of relationship I want to talk about is the one that Paul devotes most of his time to here, marriage. So many of us are married, and some will be married in the future, and I suspect all of us know someone who is married, and we can all be part of strengthening and supporting them. Now, this is a picture of Cassie and myself on our wedding day. I was very young. I had to get special permission and everything, you know. You know. Now, I'm pretty sure um, Andy asked me to speak on this passage because we have the perfect marriage. You know... I think it's, you know, we never argue. Um, we never upset each other with badly chosen words. You know, you get the idea. Of course that's not true. The reality is that every marriage, indeed every relationship, can be tough. You know, but it's true, isn't it? Every relationship is difficult. It has to be worked out. We all know that our relationships are not perfect. Deep down we all know that there is room for more. Now, Paul, for Paul, it starts from that place that I talked about at the beginning, from mutual submission out of reverence to Christ. To Christ. If a marriage is going to work, then both parties have to give up something of themselves for the greater good of what they can be together, like that picture of the seesaw. But it has to be out of reverence to Christ. You see, we can't do this in our own strength, in our own flesh. The Christian life is all about denying ourselves, which is in a huge contrast to the world where we're told we should be looking to fulfill ourselves. 
giving ourselves up for the sake of others is perhaps one of the most primary identities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So our relationships are not about what we can get out of them, rather they are about what we can give of ourselves for the benefit of the other. And so the goal of marriage, I think, is to make sure that this same self-sacrificing love is brought into our relationships. This isn't men to women or women to men. It's both men and women submitting our lives to Jesus, giving our lives away to one another. We are called, you know, to healthily abandon ourselves to one another. Now, if one holds back, the marriage is not going to work as it was meant to. So what does this submission look like? You know, reading those words today, they might shock wives, submit to your husbands, but if we go back 2,000 years ago, it would have been the men who were shocked. I mean, what Paul was, Paul was talking about here was a revolution. The men of Ephesus were used to be able to give themselves to whoever or where, um, whenever they wanted. But call, Paul is calling them to submit to their wives, to love their wives, to stop messing around with other people and commit to their wives and to their families. Now, I don't think we can quite grasp today how countercultural this is back in the day. There was no limit to the power of a man over their wives, over their children, over those who worked for them. He was calling men to truly love their wives, to be gentle with their children, and to treat those who work for them in the same way we'd expect them to treat us. So Paul's message here directly confronts the message and the culture of that day. And in doing so, he you know, found a place for women, not only in the church, but in society and in leadership in the church as well. You know, it's no coincidence that Paul spends twice as long here talking to the men as he does to the women in this letter. And we only need to hear the horrific stories that have come out of things like the Me Too movement, or even just watch a movie from the 80s to get a glimpse of how men have been oppressing women for years and years and years. You know, God created men and women to be equal, but not the same. Paul is striving here to limit the power of a husband over his wife. He is calling for that sacrificial kind of love, just like Christ loved the church. You know, there are far more types of love than we have a word for in the English language. You know, love between friends, sexual love, and agape love, the kind of love that God has for us. And it's this agape kind of love that Paul is talking about. The kind that washed feet. The kind that looked after the broken and the vulnerable. And the kind that led Jesus to sacrifice himself on the cross. This is the kind of love that God calls for in husbands. In knowing, perhaps, with the physical power that we might have, to submit that, to lay it down, and to love our wives. We submit to our need for satisfaction. We die to ourselves. And in doing so, we, um, we promote and nourish and cherish our wives, and we present them in splendor, as Paul talks about. So wives are called to submit. Husbands are called to die. You know, as we come towards the end, I just want to share some, some of my best tips from relationships and specifically marriages. This is not an exhaustive list, and I hope it's helpful, but I'm just going to throw a few things around that I found really helpful in both my own life and in our, in our marriage as well. And the first one is this. Don't take yourself too seriously. 
this is something that I was told before I got married. I didn't think much of it at the time, but I think I'm only really starting to grasp its importance now. You know, Paul says um, in his letter to the Romans, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. I sometimes take myself too seriously. I think too highly of myself. I need to learn to back down in conversation, in arguments, to allow myself to be silly, to laugh at myself, and to let others laugh at me as well. If you take yourself too seriously, your relationships will suffer. The second thing is be kind to each other. Man, this is so important. I wonder, when was the last time you said a kind word to your spouse or a friend or a family member? When did you go out of the way to do something to bless and to be kind to someone? Here's a challenge, you know. Why don't you find out, why don't you think about how people you love receive love and do something to bless them in that way? Don't just do the thing that you want yourself. You know, acts of service. If people love um, people who do something for them, unload the dishwasher, mow the lawn. If it's physical touch, give them a hug. If it's gifts, pick up your spouse's favourite flowers, candles, beer, chocolate. So let them know that you're thinking of them even when they're not there. I'm a gift man. It's so often the little things that make a difference. And to simply think the best of them. And also to choose to forgive again and again and again. So important. The third one, talk. And also mean and listen as well. I mean really talk. Talk about your hopes. Talk about your dreams. Your successes and your failures. What's making you excited? What's making you fearful? Talk about the mundane stuff. But find the best way and time to do it. We found out the hard way. You know, so I grew up in a home where we took Paul's words in chapter 4 of this letter very literally. It said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And sometimes it nearly killed my family life. You know, we would have it out until the point of no longer being angry and more, or at least we didn't care anymore. And the sun almost set by then. But it was a principle I believed in, and so I, I took that into our marriage with the forthright belief that this was the, the way to deal with issues. Unfortunately, I married someone who, after 9pm, is unable to utter more than two words in a row, which would make our discussions very one-sided, leaving me very frustrated and Kathy often in tears. You know, by contrast, when Kathy gets out of the morning, at least if it's pre-kids, she'd just be one of those people who's just awake. I mean, I don't know. Anyway. Whereas until about 9am or I've had a, a good strong coffee, I'm unable to ask them more than two words in a row. And I find it impossible to listen to what anyone said. So we have to compromise. You know, that's what relationships are about, isn't it? And as much as possible, we no longer start difficult conversations either before 9am or after 9pm. It's our 9 o'clock call and it works well. I know it's a much smaller window, especially when you throw in kids and work and school. But I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say it saved us on many occasions. Block out regular times to talk, date nights. These don't have to be expensive. I mean, just going for a walk is often the best way to talk. And if you've got kids, this is not a good excuse, okay? You need it. Ask for help. Get a babysitter so you can get out. There are so many people sat here this morning who would love to help you do that. But don't just talk to each other. Make sure you have people also that you love um, and trust to support. 
support you. So the fourth thing, get help. I think those are the four hardest letters in the English language. And I think there's incredible pressure not to be seen to be doing badly. And especially in some cultures, that's incredibly hard. But we need to know that it's okay to shout when there's a problem. The reality is every relationship, every marriage has its problems. So what do you do when you hit a challenge, when sex is difficult, kids are a nightmare, you can't communicate with each other, or you keep finding yourself stuck in that same place? Make sure you've got people around you. Join a small group. You can go and check out a new small group board. I'll throw in a plug there. Um, seek out places and people that you can talk and pray with. It might just make all the difference. And the fifth one. I've only got one more after this. Don't worry. Fight. For a healthy marriage, that is. You know, first up, I just want to say there are abusive situations where you need to find proper help. And if you're in children and are in danger, then seek the help that you need. That's really, really important. But marriage is something we should be fighting for. Marriage vows are for life. Love and cherish through sickness and health till death do us part. You know, it's not just a piece of paper or a legal transaction. It's so much more than that. A healthy marriage is a blessing to a community. It's a stable foundation for a family. There is always hope. Don't give up. You know, so often, I think, once that initial passion has died down in a relationship, things can feel a bit mundane or boring. I just say, don't give up. Or perhaps, you know, you have the privilege of kids, and you've forgotten what a full night's sleep looks like. Don't give up. You know, sometimes you have to choose to make it work. Choose to love. You know, so many relationships break down because they can't get past it. But from um, my own experience or our own experience, it gets so much better when you choose to push through it with the love and the support of people around you. Now, I know that isn't always possible and for a variety of reasons, but if you know people who are married or you are married to yourself, then I believe that we need to fight for marriage. Finally, and this is where I land, bring it all to Jesus. And that's what it all comes down to, and that is what we're going to do now. So um, just to point you towards something, um, on the 13th of September, um, at our, our church um, monthly prayer meeting, we're going to be praying for marriages. So I think it's so important that we do that. So 13th of September, Friday evening, 7.30, 7.30. Join us here 